We've also had a retaining wall collapse, and that's a $100,000 bill. And we've put in new boiler system, which was another $60,000. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills? Or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. Hey guys, it is Sarah Larby. I'm excited for another week with you. And I want to thank you for tuning in every week, listening to these podcasts. I would not do this if it wasn't for you reaching out and, you know, letting me know how much it has helped. And those are some of the greatest emails, the greatest comments I get when you write to me and you let me know how successful you are and how you've been able to accumulate wealth and, and reach your goals. So keep them coming. If you have a really awesome success story, please share it. Um, and uh, you know, it definitely is why I do all of these things is to help others do what I was able to do and more and do better and uh, get different perspectives. So I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. Don't forget, please leave a rating and review. If you haven't yet, that would be awesome. So today's guest is Mark Loeffler. He's a realtor and a real estate investor. And we actually talk about how to burr larger multifamily properties and how to find them, how to work with private money, VTBs, vendor takebacks, dealing with vacant units, um, and much more. So I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. Mark is a wealth of knowledge, super insightful, has tremendously grown his portfolio over the last few years. Uh, very, very successful real estate investor. And he's also got his own YouTube show. So don't forget to check that out as well. I hope that you guys enjoy this podcast and don't forget sarahlarby.com. There's lots of great content that you can reach out to me and get. Um, I think I still have my fundamentals checklist. So if you want to see how to analyze a market, go to sarahlarby.com. You can grab that. That's free. Um, and then just reach out to me and let me know about your success story. I would love to hear it. And until next week, guys, I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Mark, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great, Sarah. How are you? Good. I'm excited to have you. Now you're in the hot seat. I was just on your show recently and uh, we've uh, shifted it over. So now you're going to be sharing your story and your successes and your insights. So I'm excited to have you on. For those that may not know or, or may not have heard of, uh, of who Mark Loeffler is, can you give us a 30,000 foot view of you know, what it is that you, you are currently doing in real estate? So what I'm currently doing, or who am I, I guess. So who am I? I've written two books, uh, Rent to Own, obviously, real, um, uh, and Fix and Flip for Canadian Real Estate Investors. Uh, I own about 200 residential units right now. Um, I am a real estate agent who I help people buy uh, investment properties. I am partners with somebody on the residential side. We work um, Oakville, Burlington, Hamilton, mainly, uh, a little bit of Toronto. Um, and what else? Um, father of three. Uh, so yeah, just busy all around, I guess. That's, that's, oh, that sounds like a lot. It sounds like you've got many hats and you've, uh, you know, definitely been doing a great job at, at it because I, I can tell you you've got, you've got definitely a presence. You've built your brand, you've built a, a great reputation and, uh, and somehow you can still uh, manage to, to do it all and be uh, a father of three kids, which is incredible. Yeah. How did you bridge? Go ahead. 
I was going to I forgot. I mean, YouTube star as well. I mean, uh -huh. I have 11, at least 1,100 subscribers as of right now. And I mean, if you're hearing this in February, hopefully, knock on wood, I should be, I hopefully will be around 2,500 by then. You guys yeah. go, go and subscribe to the channel. Where, where, what's yeah. the channel called? Is it, is it just your name? The Mark Loeffler Experience. Awesome. All right. Awesome. And we post there three times a week. Good, good. So, so let's just take a step back. So you've built, you know, a, a great portfolio of, of 200 plus units. And how did you originally start in real estate and why? Yeah, so I was working at, so originally I tried to buy my first rental property or my first, I was going to live there and rent out the basement or live in the basement right out upstairs. Like when I was like 20 years old at, in the beaches, basically or upper beaches in Toronto and it was like $180,000 at that time. And I just, I was like short $5,000 and I just couldn't make it work. And then, so I was always interested in that. I always saw that. Like I was like, I could live for free, make actually a little bit of money by renting to a couple friends' rooms and then the renting the basement. And you know, that's all, that was it. And then I got a job um, at Canon after tra traveling around a bit. Um, and I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. Then I started buying duplexes in Newmarket and a couple in Toronto in the Junction area. And yeah, we basically went from there. That's awesome. Canon, the hygiene company or the photocopiers? Photocopier. I started at Xerox. You know, maybe oh, there there's something to be said because I think and Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad Poor Dad started at Xerox too. <laughs> yeah. So I, I didn't do photocopiers. I did uh, papers and paper accessories like the office, like toner, oh, okay. paper. Yeah, consumables. Nice. So you obviously, uh, you know, read that book and then you just decided that this life was not for you potentially and you wanted something better? Yeah, I mean, uh, that was it. I, I figured there was a, not a better way, but a different way to be able to earn income and, you know, and leverage, right? Leverage other people's time, leverage other people, you know, get paid while you sleep. That's exactly why I love real estate. So you scaled, um, now how long ago was that, that you started? Uh, so it's been 17 years since I started investing in real estate. All right, so 17 years, I mean, that's a, you know, 200 plus units or doors? Doors, doors. Okay. units, oh no, so I, I mean, I don't own any student rentals or anything like that, so every door is a unit for me. Okay, so, so you, and, and what is the strategy that you have utilized to be able to scale? Is it, you know, the buy and hold? Is it the burr strategy? Like, what is that strategy? So I've done pretty much everything. Uh, 17 years ago, we were buying shitty properties that we would fix up. And then we weren't burring them as quick just because of how the financing was working or how I was using financing back then. Like I was doing 5% down owner occupied with like three and a half or four and a half percent cash back. So I could have money to renovate the properties. So to break the mortgage just didn't make sense. Um, but at the end of five years, obviously, I could refinance and do all that type of stuff. Uh, so it wasn't a quick burr, yet I wasn't putting a lot of money in. So, it, I mean, it was fine. Um, so I was doing that. And then, obviously, we started joint venturing on stuff like that. But uh, we got into rent-to-own. We did, I don't know, hundreds of rent-to-owns. I used to do flips. Um, and then I finally settled on that. You know, Burr is the best strategy out there. Um, and so that's all I do now is Burrs and I do them on typically multi-unit buildings and, you know, 12, 15, 20 unit plus. And that's, that's the goal. That's good. So, 
so you've, you know, I love the birth strategy and like it's a help me scale as well. You do it on even a bigger scale and you know, you can do a great, like you can do a great job increasing the net operating income and maybe even less rentals on a multi, on a larger multifamily, but, but walk us through like maybe the differences between burying a, you know, four unit and under property versus, you know, five or more that that's considered commercial residential. Yeah. So four and under, obviously it's residential. Um, biggest difference, two biggest differences are that um, four and under, you can do a lot quicker. Uh, I mean, you can do in six to 18 months and be done, totally done, refinance, get the highest and most value out of it. Um, yet one of the downfalls is you have to qualify obviously for mortgages. You have to have income. Bank doesn't like us retired folks who don't have a, like a steady income. Um, so they're harder to, harder to finance. Where, where, square box. <laughs> right. Uh, whereas in commercial, I, so I, I do two year increments and so I break it up and basically in um, the first two years, I turn over as many units as I can. I refinance at two years. Some buildings I get out all my money, some buildings I, I don't. Uh, and, but the goal is within four years to have all the money back, all, all of our initial investment plus any rentals we've put in so far. Okay. So two years and then two years and then four years as, as the max to be able to, you know, turn, turn that, those units over. So when you do look at a, a property, I mean, do you look at, okay, I'm going to have to take each unit one at a time and renovate it? Like what, what is your overall plan when you're, when you're looking at burying a property or a multifamily at this point? Yeah. I mean, I honestly, I, my, my, I, I would like to do about 25% in that first year, uh, have 40% done by two years. And then by, you know, year four, it's 60 to 75%. Okay. So essentially you'll, you'll take a unit and you'll renovate that unit. You'll command higher rents and you'll, you'll try to do that with enough units that you can get the lift. And then based on the net operating income and the cap rate, you go back to the bank and you say, here's my new income. And based on the cap rate, I qualify for X, that, you know, thousands more for, for, to be able to refi. Is that it's big enough. It's millions more. Yes. Okay, cool. So can you walk us through like an example of like a recent one that you've done, like where you found it? Was it on market, off market? And like, maybe just like overall financials? Sure. I mean, you can all just go to my YouTube channel. I post all my numbers there. Uh, I mean, you can watch those ones. Uh, but I did a, a 30 unit uh, beginning of COVID. Uh, I don't, I mean, I have to, I, I have to go look up the numbers. <laughs> I don't really remember them. Yeah, actually, let me just go look them up here. Uh, no worries. And, and it doesn't have to be like exact. I mean, you could just be approximate. Uh, like if you bought it for like two mil, you put in like. Uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, I, I bought it for uh, just over $4 million. Um, so I it like 4 million, 50,000 gross rents were like 21,000 at the time, which was, uh, which is obviously about $700 a unit we think we can get 11 to $1,200 per unit there. They're mainly bachelors. So we closed on it. So we bought it in it before COVID happened, but our due diligence period was during COVID. And um, so that we, I think our original purchase price was 4.2. 
And then we got it down to 4 million 50 because we didn't know what was going on with COVID. And, you know, obviously the banks were doing funny things back then. They weren't really saying, Hey, we'll lend. So we basically bought it cash with a VTB and um, yeah. So since then we closed in July. Uh, what are we now in October? So three months we have, 12 units vacant in there right now. We've also had a retaining wall collapse and that's a hundred thousand dollar bill. And we've put in new boiler system, which was another $60,000. We have three work orders from the city right now, because when we put the new boiler in a couple of units flooded, um, which again, helped us get some people out yet. Yeah. So, you know, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, I think in a year, we're going to pull out all our money, and the rental costs for the additional, I think we'll have half the building basically done by then. And we'll be able to pull out all of our money plus a profit plus the renovation costs for everything on that. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey guys, I just want to take a quick moment here and pause the podcast to introduce you to one of my favorite contractors, John from Blackjack Contracting Inc. And he has been serving the Niagara, Hamilton and Brantford areas for the past three years and has become the area's legal basement suite renovation specialist. He works with many investors that I know and some newer investors, some more experienced investors, and he converts single family homes into multiple units, as well as my favorite strategy, the Burr strategy. So he's well-versed in those as well to make sure that we can achieve the maximum value of the property and the maximum ARV. He has also completed over 100 units from Brantford to Niagara Falls and everywhere in between as well. They do everything from permitting to the design to the final cleaning before listing our rentals for rent or for sale. And he's also a fully licensed electrical contractor. He's certified with ESA and he will take jobs of all sizes. So no job is too big. He's done in complete guts really from the ground up. So super impressed with his work and what he's been doing for fellow investors that I know as well. So if you wanted to reach out, his website is blackjack contractinginc.ca and you can ask him whatever questions you have. You can also reach out to him Instagram, which is at Blackjack Contracting Inc. And like he says, he knows that investing feels like the biggest gamble of our lives. So when you have Blackjack on your side, the house always wins. I will also add that there is currently a ban as of April 4th on new permits. So he will still actively work to the law's extent and actively work with investors to get projects planned out for when the ban is lifted. So that way you're not necessarily waiting and waiting and waiting. So guys, 100%, I recommend Blackjack Contracting. I will say that finding the right contractor is sometimes a hassle and getting a good one that works with investors that understands the numbers is going to be critical in our success, especially when doing the Burr strategy. And now back to the show. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, obviously the the wall and the $100,000 repair that you may not have foreseen is you know, it's one of those things, right? You, you go into the bigger, the bigger multis, there's going to be bigger problems, or there's also potentially going to be bigger re- rewards at the end of the day too. Well, that's right. Again, we bought it for 4 million. Um, you know, if we get the rent roll to what, I mean, let's add, I don't know, $500 a unit on 15 units. So an extra $7,500 per, per, per month. So now we're at like twenty eight, twenty nine thousand $29,000 per month. 
you know, that's right there is adding almost $100,000, like $90,000 in income per year. And that's all profit. Like I don't, my expenses do go up a little bit, but not much um, compared to that. So let's say what, 70,000 that is profit, you know, at a 20 time multiplier, you know, and cap rates have done us a favor because interest rates are super low, like on a, on a CMHC loan, I'm getting 1.2 to 1.3% on a five year right now. So that's, that's compressed cap rates even lower. So on refinances, they're now refinancing me at like four and a quarter instead of 4.75, which then just increases my value even more. Yeah. And the lower the cap rate, the better it is, right? In terms of, of pushing the value of your property up on refi. So you don't want like an, an appraiser to come and be like, I'm going to, you know, use a five cap versus a four cap because your, your valuation is going to be, and maybe you can talk on that a little bit, but your valuation is going to be better on the lower cap or, you know, when you're purchasing a property, also make sure that you know the, the area cap too. But, but talk to us right. about, about your insights on that. So when I buy a property, I want the highest cap possible. I want to buy a seven. Everybody wants to buy it a seven, right? Uh, or nine or 10 or whatever. And when I refinance, I want it to refinance at a three cap, of course. Um, and yeah, it's just a matter of, you know, what they, how they're looking at value. And, you know, I'm typically buying right now at like three and a quarter to 3.75. And that's been compressed even. Like we just saw a deal happen at 2.75 at a really good area, Hamilton. Yet again, it's, yeah. I mean, I, I want the lowest cap rate possible. And if you guys want like go to my channel. I did a, um, a, a talk on how commercial financing works. You know, it's a good 25 minute <laughs> video. So go check that out. It is, it is completely different, right? And, and sometimes like you don't even need to really rent it. Like if you buy something and the rents are lower and you know, over time as your tenants turn over, you put a new tenant in for $500 more and you do that over time, you may not have to do a whole gut job, right? Or it's, it's, it's not, you can have a 10 plex and another 10 plex across the street for each, from each other. And they could be completely different in price because of the, the net operating income. So, you know, keep, keep that piece in mind. Now, when you're looking for properties, are these on market or off market? Right. So the best deal I ever got was on market. Oh yeah. <laughs> and like, that was a 22 unit and just was, I think it was the last actually concrete construction building in Hamilton that sold for less than a hundred thousand dollars a unit. I think we bought it for like 98,000 a unit and now it's over 200 a unit for sure. So, I mean, that was on market. I bought a couple on market. I bought a couple off market. Typically they're all through real estate agents. So the, the 30 unit I bought was not, you know, was not um, through a real estate agent. It was through somebody I knew. So networking, whatever, but yeah, most of it is on market or through a listing agent that, you know, they don't put it on market, but it is marketed. It is a marketed property. Right. So those that are, you know, in that market that have purchased already, that have been networking, you'll get listings before, like rather than having them go on MLS, like a lot of realtors will probably go to their top investors and say, are you interested in this? property. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, for sure. If they know you can close, they know that you're going to, you're willing to pay a decent price. Um, you know, it's just easier. And you know, the other thing is like putting it on MLS, you just get, you know, you, you get a lot of uh, tire kickers and that type of stuff. It's just a waste of time. A lot of time when, if you have a good database, you can market to your database. And you know, there was a, a, 
a 12 unit and they had five offers on it. They listed at one nine something. And I, I don't know what it sold for, but it probably sold close to two, three. So if somebody is interested in, in finding some, you know, potential connections or deals that way, like what are some like strategies or, or tips that you can give them to how to get, you know, their foot into that, those connections? Talk to a guy like me, uh, okay. be serious. Uh, like, you know, there's a whole bunch of people that come and they talk to me about this type of th- stuff and you can just tell they haven't done their homework. They haven't talked to like, they don't know what they're going to do for financing. They don't know that on, on obviously commercial, like it's probably going to be 35, maybe 40% down. You're going to be lucky if you're less than that, you know? So, it, and they haven't talked to anybody about that, right? They don't, they don't, don't know. They haven't set that all up. They haven't like, for me, I, I send my net worth statement in every six months to my broker because I'm, I'm constantly doing things, right? I'm constantly just working that and working that. So it's like, okay, six months, here's my net worth statements. Here's all this type of stuff. They don't really care about my income. It's more about my net worth, right? Yeah, absolutely. For commercials, commercial residential and commercial property. So how are you doing, you know, you, you were talking about your, your broker. How are you doing the financing? Is this coming from just because you've been in the market for 17 years and you've been building it? Is this your cash or do you work with investors? How are you doing the financing piece? So I don't put any of my own money in on any of these real estate deals. Um, I mean, I, I, I can't remember the last time I actually put money in. To, actually, no, I do remember the last time I put money in. I bought a 19 unit property and I got lazy. I found one investor. It wasn't enough. And I was like, well, it's only a couple hundred grand extra. I'll just throw that in there and take some of the other, the, the equity out of that. Right. Um, just cause I honestly, I just couldn't, uh, I couldn't be bothered to go make another phone call or two, but since then, and that was probably six years ago, I don't think I've, yeah, I haven't put any more money into a real estate deal. It's all been a joint venture money. And with that, um, you know, basically we're financing through a banks. Uh, we, we do 98% of our financing through BMO right now. And we're just, yeah, we're, we, we always look at other solutions. It's just that we have such a good relationship with that, them right now. And the more you do, the higher they bump you up in the level and they keep, you know, the fees are, they, they waive fees for us. They do a whole bunch of stuff. So it's like, well, it's just easier to stay with them at, the, at this point, right? Like. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey, I just want to take a moment and interrupt the podcast to introduce you to my mortgage broker, Dahlia Barsoom, and her team at Streetwise Mortgages. Because everything around us is changing, the world as we know it is not going to be the same. COVID-19, the economic crisis is a time of uncertainty for many of us. And the lending and real estate landscape, they're changing quite rapidly day by day. Today's financing and investment decisions are gonna be different than the ones that we made yesterday. Dahlia and her team are gonna be able to help us maneuver through all of this. They're property investors themselves, so they've worked with thousands of real estate investors across Ontario, and they have their pulse and their finger on what's happening around us in real time from a real estate financing and investments point of view. Her team of advisors are committed to helping us keep informed and get that up-to-date information. And they're also going to be able to help us navigate through this crisis to also mitigate and minimize any financial distress during this whole transition. And also 
also help us emerge out of this in a strong financial position so that we can leverage ourselves for some great opportunities that are going to be coming to us. They've been able to help many investors in times like this by really planning out your plan for the good, but also for the bad, because these circumstances that are happening are going to be very individual for all of us. And they're going to help navigate three key parts, financial stability, financial agility, and opportunity, and help you manage through those three things. When it comes to stability, how can you enhance your reserves and your liquidity to weather the storm? You're going to have a different plan, so it's important to get that individualized plan. How can you utilize mortgage payment deferrals? Should you? Should you not? Why or why not? any debt restructuring opportunities. Those are all things that Dahlia and her team can help you work with. Now, when it comes to financial agility, there's some things that you might want to talk about are how do you make some improvements to your monthly budget so that you can increase your cash flow? Are there any financing tools that you can use to cover some short-term cash flow deficits? When it comes to opportunity, there's going to be some great opportunity that's going to come out of this. How can you set yourself up for success. So her and her team are going to be able to help you maneuver through these things and create a plan, not only for the good times, but also in times like this, so that you can handle the storm and come out ahead. Feel free to reach out to Dahlia and her team at info at streetwisemortgages.com or go to her website, streetwisemortgages.com. And now back to the show. Yeah. So you mentioned BMO, like there's probably, you know, a few, a few different banks that as, as a residential investor, you know, you may not necessarily go to as your first ones, but there might be some banks that are going to be better from, from a commercial standpoint than others, right? And you mentioned BMO as, you know, as one of them. Yeah, and we've done a couple deals with, um, with credit unions right off the beat, like anything that I used to buy real crap holes, basically we gutted them. Uh, like the one, the 19 unit we bought for 950,000, we spent $1.1 million renovating it. So we bring in a credit union, they would, you know, finance us and they'd finance the construction for us as well. Uh, Whereas I'm buying better buildings now. So I really don't need that. They basically come in, they provide financing. We fund our construction when units come available and, you know, that's basically what we do. That's interesting. So you get, I mean, the construction funds and the construction loan is probably a lot more expensive than the bank financing the the property itself. Like, like what do you know what the rates are? And I know you're not a mortgage broker, but like roughly like on a construction loan from a a credit union. So we were prime plus three interest only. So I think at that point we were 5.5. So it it wasn't that expensive. I was very happy with with like their like the construction loan and everything and to be honest with you i I would have loved to work with them on a takeout yet they just couldn't get the value to to where we needed it right right now do you go to to cmhc on the refi once you're done or or do you not consider them i've never so i can't say never i did one cmhc loan on a takeout i find them painful and extremely difficult to deal with Mm -hmm. and they just take so long Whereas I can just call up my BMO person and just say, hey, this is what's going to happen. Here's our timeline. Does that work? And typically six to eight weeks later, I have money in the bank. Whereas CMHC might be six to eight months. Right. Yeah, no, definitely they're, they're backed up and they're slower than, than uh, unfortunately than we were hoping for. So you mentioned also VTB. 
BTBs and, and doing it with this last deal that, you know, you were doing through COVID. Is that a, a one-off or is that also a way that you, you get some financing upfront? It's not that um, common for us. This is the first time, well, first time since the first apartment building that we've had it. During COVID, I did negotiate three VTBs and this is the only one we actually used. Um, because basically in the middle of COVID banks were like, Hey, we're not doing anything. And then July, August rolled around. They're like, Hey, you know, this we're okay. Like we're not swamped as we were with the small business stuff and all that type of stuff. Yeah. We want to loan you money now. So basically the deal, we had a deal closed in September for a client. He had a VTB and he basically walked, he said, nah, I don't want it. Let's just take it off the deal. Right. Uh, yet when we meet some of these gentlemen or people who own these properties, a lot of them have no plan for what they're going to do with the, with the lump sum payment. So we offer them, you know, do to hold the first mortgage. So we can still provide them income every month and they can do different tax planning because maybe they don't have, you know, because if they do a VTB, they can spread their uh, uh, tax over five years. Right. So that's really more what we're seeing rather than, you know, using a second mortgage or something like that uh, to be able to fund the deal. Right. Okay. All right. And then your investors that are going to be in the deal will usually fund the down payment and the, the rental costs, potentially, even if there's a VTB in first position. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, we only use a VTB in first position. Um, like we would go for 75 to 80% of the purchase price and try to negotiate three and a half to 4% interest only mortgage type thing. Right. Yeah. It just gives us, it usually lets us cash flow for the first year or two, then we can refinance that out and uh, pull in a different mortgage. Yeah. I mean, and it's, and in a way it's a win-win because they may be able to, and I, and I think that there's going to be an opportunity. I don't know. And you can, you know, feel free to, to let me know your thoughts, but I think there's going to be an opportunity should the market start like slowing down and who knows what the aftermath of, of what the economy is going to look like with everything that's happening. I don't think it's sustainable to have all these like, you know, multiple offers on everything. You know, personally, I think it's going to slow down, but you know, could there be an opportunity for some additional VTVs that, you know, maybe somebody wants to sell, but they may not get the price that they want. Well, you know, maybe they, they're willing to do a VTB at 80% loan to value at something affordable that you can, you know, work on the, on the property for that two to five year time frame. Um, and in the end, they can get the price that they wanted to that is probably not going to sell in the regular market. I don't know. That's, that's my take, but feel free to, you know, challenge it or, or whatnot. Um, well, so it depends on what market we're talking about, obviously, right? If we're talking downtown condo market, I mean, when you hear this in January or February, I mean, this is October right now, and we're starting to see a spike in listings and not the spike in sales. So things are sitting on the market longer. You know, prices have did go up in September, even on condos. I, I think you're going to see... Well, one of two things are it's going to happen. Some of those are going to rent out. It's, it's a lot of micro condos, so stuff that's under 500 units in downtown Toronto. So some of those are going to rent out. People are going to start moving back to the downtown core. Yet that's going to probably take, you know, 12 to 18 to 24 months. And then number two is, yeah, you're going to start to see some depression in, in, in prices there. And, and we're starting, even in Toronto, you know, we're starting to see a little less activity out there on some of these properties. As for apartment buildings, here's the thing. I, I mean, if interest rates remain stupid low, which I think they will, because I don't think the government can really change that. I mean, you're buying them at, at a percentage 
between what the cap, what that is and the, you know, the cap rate, that's your, that's your margin. And, you know, you're looking at these things and, you know, if I'm buying an apartment building in, in, in Hamilton, I mean, I'm overpaying today for what it's actually giving me yet. The, the opportunity is that I can take that and take that from $700 a month to $1,200 a month rent. And I don't see rent like going down, you know, at the end of the day, like Hamilton needs a thousand units per year just to stay like rental units per year, just to stay even keel. And they haven't gotten that in, I don't know, for, forever. Right. Yeah. So uh, like, I think location depends on the type of property. That makes sense. Yeah. And, and, and obviously people are moving out of the downtown core, right? And yet people are still hiring. Now if we get a phase, like, obviously we're going back into phase two, which I, I think is, I mean, personally owning three restaurants as well, I think is ridiculous. Doug, don't do it. And if you're watching this after Doug, don't do it. What are, so I'm actually, so I'm going to ask you a question that's like, you know, a little bit off the, the cusp of what we were discussing, but what are the restaurants called? Uh, so Caro, which is at James in Ottawa, sorry, James in Ottawa, um, Ottawa on Main Street, and then Caro on James, which is James Street North, uh, and then uh, Victoria Steakhouse, which is at Locke and uh, King Street. So how have you guys been, you know, maneuvering through, I guess, everything that happened since March? Right. So it's funny. So Caro is, was our original restaurant. It's in that 19 unit building that I bought for 950,000, put $1.1 million in. That's how I got into the restaurant business was a guy I met, wanted to open a restaurant, didn't have the money to build, to renovate. We were renovating anyway. So I said, Hey, we'll do it for you, but we want a piece of the business. And that, you know, started it. Now we have three restaurants together. So Caro did, Wow. Like, so they did pick up and delivery. That's very like uh, neighborhood. Like they, they do great. And then they do great things in the neighborhood. So all the neighborhood wanted to support. And you know, at that time you were like, well, where else am I going to spend money? I don't go grab a couple of pizzas, grab a bottle of wine from them, whatever. So Victoria's the steakhouse had opened two weeks before COVID started and they didn't really have that cachet, I guess. Or, and the other thing is it's a steakhouse, right? So it's like not so good for deliveries. So they basically just shut down and they were down for 124 days before they reopened. And then we just opened a third restaurant like a week and a half ago during COVID, during the pandemic. You know, we got a good deal on, on some rent from a restaurant that went under. So, yeah. So, I mean, that, that is interesting. And I mean, you just started these restaurants in, in the, you know, a lot of in the midst of everything that was going on. So, you know, would you recommend that somebody get in the restaurant business right now or, or look at commercial property at this point, like commercial, commercial, not residential. Commercial retail. So would I recommend people get in the restaurant industry? Never. Um, <laughs> no, I, I don't know. Like, here's the thing. Like my partner is a good operator, right? I, I'm totally, I'm just, I'm the, I'm the passive investor on this. I'm the silent guy, you know, and that's just me diversifying away from real estate a little bit because a lot of my assets are in real estate. So, and, and if you're going to buy retail, I mean, if you're buying retail in good locations, you may, there may be six months of pain there yet. I think, you know, in that, you know, six to 12 month period, yeah, you're going to do okay. And it's, and it's funny, like I was looking at a plaza the other day and I'm looking at the, the, the mix in there and there's a grocery store and a liquor store, barber shop, couple like fast, like takeout places type thing. And like the only one I could really see that I would think would be an issue is the gym because if, you know, they get 
shut down again, that gym gets shut down, who knows what they're going to do, right? The rest of them, like, that, that's what we discovered, like, during the first COVID, damn, we need barbers, right? <laughs> like, I needed one. Like, it was getting bad, and, and I don't, like, I even waited two more weeks no, for no reason other than I was lazy. And I, I was, like, I, you know, getting the fro going on. Yeah. I mean, and you, you mentioned a really interesting point. You've got to, if you are going to get into this industry and go into retail and you're looking at plazas, cause I mean, it's something that we don't talk a lot about on this podcast, but to look at the mix and, and look at, is it recession proof and what happened to them during COVID? But I mean, it's, it's a whole other ball game, a whole other, you know, discussion to have at, at some point in the future, but it's, uh, it's definitely something interesting. You don't want to be buying something that, you know, where there's everything that shut down, and uh, they're still shut down and you know so wait so wait, wait your pros and cons but could be an interesting an interesting opportunity you know in six months from now or 12 months from now to, to maybe scoop some things at a you know potential discount i don't know maybe i mean i have a friend who owns a lot of like commercial properties and in march he was like okay back the dump truck up let's buy a whole bunch of stuff cheap and he put like i don't know 20 23 offers in he got two accepted, closed one deal. Hmm. And it was really that first two weeks. And now everybody's like, no, just hold on. Yeah. I'll be fine. They're like, I, if I don't get what I, if I want to sell, I want this price. Right. And if not, then don't, don't worry about it. I'll be fine. It is, it is interesting. I mean, like, would you have imagined that, I mean, even just going back to residential, like the market would be this hot with multiple offers on everything like like you know back in march do you think so you you should have watched one of my videos one of my first videos i ever did on my channel i'm like this is a buying opportunity this is like 2018 or sorry 2008 2009 when you know there was that so in that was a six month period where you could get a great deal and i was like you know i think that you know we're gonna see you know, I thought maybe a couple months that you could buy. Yeah, at the end of the day, they ended up being two weeks, maybe three weeks, where if you bought during that period, you like you were up 20% by June. Um, and I thought, my th thinking was, is like, okay, everybody's panicking, yet who who's losing the jobs, right? It's, it's retail, it's um, hospitality, it, it's lower income people who aren't buying houses anyways, right? They're not buying income properties. They're, they're the one, there are tenants. And sir, I mean, did its job. I mean, I collected majority of my rents all through that. Um, and, you know, we, everybody else like still had a job, right? It wasn't full-time people getting laid off or anything like that. There were some, yet at the, the majority of people still had a job. So they, you know, they were looking around saying, well, I'm, I'm still working from home. I'm still getting paid. Why not, uh, you know, go out and, and buy real estate. And then by April, they, you know, had woken up and said, Oh, and then pit prices started to shoot up again. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, nobody has a crystal ball for the future, but it, you know, at, at the end of the day, like there's an opportunity in every single market, right? You just gotta, you gotta find it. And some is easier to find than others. Well, I call it the uh, crisis <laughs> I like like there's always opportunity in a crisis, right? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. I mean, we can keep, uh, we can keep talking, but the next part of the podcast is going to be our lightning round. So Mark, I'm going to ask you a series of five questions. You can give me the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready? Yep. 
This week's lightning round is brought to you by Megan Chomut. If you're looking for a great financial advisor to add to your team who actually understands and incorporates real estate as part of your overall plan and gets your money working for you, you can reach out to Megan at meganchomut.com forward slash Sarah. And also she's offered for my podcast listeners to provide you with a free customized individualized 90 day game plan for getting ahead. So to get that, go to meganchomut.com forward slash Sarah. That's M-E-G-H-A-N-C-H-O-M-U-T.com forward slash Sarah. And now back to the show. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book? Rich Dad Poor Dad. All right. Number two, if you are a podcast listener, and this could also be a YouTube show other than yours or, or mine, what is your favorite one? So other than the Mark Loeffler experience, Matt McKeever. Okay. Awesome. Question number three, what do you do for fun aside from real estate or, or working on anything related to real estate? Golf and put myself through horrible physical endurance activities. <laughs> All right. Like what? I ran hundred kilometers a couple of weeks ago, Good. just for fun. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you're, on, you're on your own on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I do, uh, I do orange theory fitness and that's, that's good. That's my workout for the day. Um, there you go. number four, if you lost all of your money and your assets tomorrow, how would you start again? Again, I would just go and buy more real estate and I would just, yeah, like I would honestly, I'd start in two to four units and I would just start doing burrs and I obviously have I lose the money, but not the knowledge. I would just build that up and it would be pretty easy to do. I think. All right. Awesome. And last question. If somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend they spend that money? How would you spend $50,000? Um, go get educated, uh, spend it, spend at least 10,000 on education. If you're going to do real estate, Take that education and turn that into figuring out how to joint venture with people. So you have to use none of your own money. And then I put like another 10 or $20,000 into uh, options trading. And I would, I would start uh, learning how to trade options. All right. Okay. Mark, where can my listeners reach out if they wanted to know more, find out more about you or connect with you? Yeah. Uh, Mark Loeffler experience on YouTube. Um, has all my links for all my social media there, but uh, live in the dream, live in the dream 40 on, uh, on Instagram as well. All right. Awesome. Any final last words of advice before we go? I, I think, um, so two things, the best time to, um, buy real estate was 50 years ago. Second best time is today. And my, my personal mantra when I'm buying apartment buildings or anything right now is, yeah, I know I'm overpaying yet in five years, I'll look like a genius. Yeah, that's a great point. Awesome, Mark. Thank you so much for being on the show. All right. Thanks, Sarah. Hey, guys. Before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons. And at the time, they all seemed very valid. But as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away. And eventually, only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked. And also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want?
Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step -step online program called Rise. And it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And, you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.